Jesus is the Lord. That's the simplest way to put it. He is Lord over all things. He's the Lord of life. He's the Lord of love. He's the Lord of heaven and earth and everything in between. He's the Lord of all that is seen and that is unseen. He is the Lord of the past, the Lord of the present, and the Lord of all that is to come. Make no mistakes, my friends. Jesus is Lord. In fact, that simple phrase, those three words, Jesus is Lord, was one of the earliest confessions of the faith. It was the first creed, you might say, of the Christian community. Those who knew Jesus and understood his mission and believed his message insisted that he wasn't just another teacher or a leader or even a worker of wonders. The earliest Christians and all true believers ever since have believed in their hearts and confessed with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. In fact, if you were here just a few days ago on Palm Sunday, as we celebrated Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, that was the basis of our focus. Maybe you even remember the seven words that I spoke on that day. True disciples can't stop confessing Jesus' name. Now, it's easy to say Jesus is Lord and to confess that you believe in him when life is going well, right? It's easy to confess Jesus is Lord on a beautiful day like this Good Friday where the sun is out and the sky is blue, the birds are singing, life is good. In those times, we gladly and naturally confess that Jesus is Lord. But as you know all too well, such times are actually quite rare. Because life isn't blue skies and sunny days and happy moments at all times. Instead, it's filled with brokenness, with shame, with regret and pain and suffering all too often. Because God's good creation has been subjected to another master, another ruler, another Lord, we could even say. To this Lord, we all bow in helpless submission. Now, I'd like to suggest that the world, whether or not they're Christian, realizes this and has a fascination with who this other competing Lord might be. Just think of some of the popular movies in the last few decades. A few dark lords that might be familiar to you, whether it's Lord Voldemort or Sauron, that evil eye, still freaks me out, <laughs> or Darth Vader. Right? Maybe you could think of a number of other dark lords that have been famous in movies. These get at this alternate competitor to the God of the universe who seeks to draw us into darkness instead of light. But tonight, the dark lord we're talking about isn't one of these. Instead, it's one that's all too familiar with us. I'm speaking of a more frightening and altogether real dark lord. We're talking about death. His reign began way back at the beginning when Adam and Eve first 
doubted God, refusing to take Him at His word, choosing willfully to disobey Him, and with this bringing death into creation. And from then until now, death has encompassed all people of all times and all places. The stark Lord, death, rules this earth and everyone in it, whether rich or poor, powerful or weak, famous or common. And despite our most valiant efforts and most brilliant minds, none of us can outwit or outlast death. Today, Good Friday, is a day, if it's about anything at all, it's a day about death and the clash of lords, an epic battle of greater proportion than any movie or any book could capture. This is the Lord of this world, the Lord of darkness, versus the Lord Jesus Christ. On Good Friday, Jesus went head-to-head or toe-to-toe with death itself. And so it's no good to sugarcoat the reality of death because the ruler of this age is mighty. He has a claim on us all. And unless Jesus returns first, which we pray he does, death will have his way with us. We will grow old. We'll get hurt. We'll get sick in some way or another. You know it. You will die. Which makes me wonder, have you thought much about it? Your death? We generally try to avoid the subject, but at times it is thrust upon us. You attend a funeral, and you wonder, what would they say about you? You have a near-death experience, and you realize that your own funeral could just be days away. Or maybe you go through a time of deep sadness and depression, and your heart wrestles with the reality of life and how it can seem almost unbearable, and you can hardly see a way forward. At such times, when our own death comes to mind, we can't help but wonder who will show up at our funerals, who will speak out, who will be racked with tears and break down and cry. I know, it's not a fun thought, but it's a sobering thought. It's much easier, much neater, much more comfortable to try to ignore the reality of our death because these thoughts make us uneasy. And who really wants to spend time thinking about death? But you came here tonight. And you didn't come here to dance around the moment or skirt important matters. No. You came here tonight because some things need to be discussed. Some things must be considered. Some things like death need to be faced so that they can be overcome. That's what the Lord Jesus was doing on Good Friday. 
On this day, some 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus came face to face with death, and it was a frightening thing to behold. Frightening for several reasons. It was frightening because Jesus' death was painful. Or having you hold a nail as just a simple reminder of how that actually happened. But before the nails were driven, the hand of a servant struck him in his face. A whip flogged his back, shredding his flesh. The crown of thorns pressed into his skull, the weight of the cross, and then the piercing of his hands and his feet, a mouth that was dry, breaths that were hard to come by. Jesus' death was painful. Jesus' death was also humiliating. False charges brought against him with no one speaking in his defense. The mocking of soldiers who put on a purple road and bowed down to him. The shame of standing before the crowds barely clothed, if at all. The jeers and the taunts. He saved others. Why can't he save himself? Jesus' death was humiliating. But worse than the pain, worse even than the humiliation, was the separation. The crowds that had praised him, Hosanna to the Son of David, Hosanna in the highest on Palm Sunday, they were gone or turned against him. The disciples who had vowed to die with him had deserted him. The people who knew him not demanded his death. And when he finally hung on that cross, suspended between heaven and earth, he was forsaken by his Father and then gave up his spirit. There, on the mountain called Golgotha, the place of the skull, Jesus was completely and utterly and categorically alone. It's the separation that makes death so scary, I think. It's what makes us avoid thinking about our own and losing loved ones or being left behind. It makes us frightened to consider facing the great unknown all alone. When we think about Jesus' death, we don't think first about him reigning as Lord. And he certainly didn't look like the master of the universe on Good Friday. But there's more that meets the eye than in this epic clash. And that more is this. In his death, Jesus was reigning as Lord over our death. Think about what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. We don't know if Paul was there crying out for his crucifixion. We know he was about that same age and lived at that same time. Maybe he was. But in a very real sense, Paul the believer was there. And so were we. Not physically, of course, but we were there 
as Jesus hung and as he hurt alone. But the miracle of the gospel, the good news of Jesus and Good Friday, is that we too by faith were there as well. And his pain, it was our pain that he took upon himself. His humiliation was the humiliation we deserve that he took upon himself. His separation from the Father was the separation our sins deserve. His death was your death, was mine. And in joining us in this way, as we join in his suffering, he reigns for us as Lord. It is in this very act of suffering and submission that he brought death under control. It's how he conquered our greatest enemy. And so through his death, he purchased for us life. And the result of this, it's our seven words for tonight. Jesus is Lord, even over my death. Can you say that with me? Jesus is Lord, even over my death. Do you realize what that means? It means that we have already died. It means you have already died. When we think about Christ's death, we're really thinking about our own death that he took upon himself. And when we look at his cross, we see what should have been ours. When we hear the tomb slam shut, we hear our tomb close for good. As Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. By entering into the tomb and closing it for you, you no longer have to suffer for your sins. You no longer have to die for them, be buried for them. That's already been accomplished in Christ. We have already been delivered and therefore need not fear. We don't have to cower before death. We don't even have to pay homage to this dark Lord despite what he longs for. It still makes us uncomfortable. The sting of our sin remains. Death will continue to claw and scrape until Jesus as Lord returns in his glory and he'll get his pound of flesh. That's the reality of life in between, even perhaps from you and from me. But we will never, my friends, we will never experience the complete and total separation that Jesus endured on our behalf. That's what makes this Good Friday. And neither have our loved ones who have died trusting in the Lord. Their sins, your sins, all of our sins have already been removed. We have been redeemed through the forgiveness that Christ won for us on the cross. In his death, we have already died. And through him in faith, we are already alive again, rising anew at the coming of the Lord God Almighty. So tonight, we confess the good news. We proclaim the gospel of Jesus simply and surely and with hope in our hearts because the Lord, the dark Lord death, 
he no longer reigns. For Jesus is Lord, even over my death. Amen.